Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I am your host, Tracy Thomas, and today is another episode of The Stacks Book Club, where we do a deep dive into one book. This week, our book is Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. Miracle Creek is a courtroom drama meets literary fiction that looks into a murder trial of a fire at a medical facility in Northern Virginia. To help us break down the many themes and ideas that come up in this book is author of Finding Feminism, Rachel Overvall. Just so we're all on the same page, there are a lot of spoilers on today's episode. So if you have not read Miracle Creek yet, you should definitely do that before you listen. You can also hear author Angie Kim on the Short Stacks, which is a completely spoiler-free episode. There's a link to that and everything else we discuss on this show in today's show notes. Make sure you catch up with the Stacks over on our social media pages, at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. Or you can check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. If you're following us, you'll never miss out on upcoming episodes, events, giveaways, and more. To get inside access to the show and help support the work we're doing here, consider joining us over on Patreon. That's a place where you can be part of the Stacks Pack and join in our virtual book club where we discuss the Stacks Book Club picks in detail with other lovers of this show. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, head over to patreon.com slash the stacks and check it out. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening to us through Apple Podcasts, will you please take a moment to rate and review the show? I know I ask you to do this every week, and I promise I wouldn't ask you if it wasn't a big deal. So if you haven't taken a moment to do that yet, please, please, please leave us a review. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now it's time for you to hear our conversation with Rachel Overvall about Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. All right, y'all, we're back again. Our guest today is the lovely Rachel Overvall, who's the author of Finding Feminism. And it's the Sax Book Club. So we're talking about Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. This book is a courtroom thriller meets literary fiction meets just really well-executed book. Um, and it tells the story of a medical facility that has an explosion. And then there are some deaths. And then one woman, a mother of one of the children in the explosion who dies, she's put on trial for the murders. So that's what the book is about. 
I did not spoil anything there, but guess what? From here on out, Rachel and I will be spoiling every single thing in this book. So if you have not read the book and you would like to be the book, read the book and you would like to try to figure out who did it and all of that and why, you should stop listening right now, mm-hmm. read the book and come back. Please do not at me if I spoil something because I don't have patience for you right now. <laughs> Rachel, thank you for being back on the stacks. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to talk about Miracle Creek. Me too, me too. So you finished it just last night. I did. And I think I finished it like six or seven days ago. So it's very fresh, top of mind for both of us, which I'm excited about. Let's just start where we always start. What did you think of the book? I loved the book. I don't think I've, I've don't, I've never read a book that was set up in this way with all the characters and then the courtroom drama, but also like very well detailing the legal process. And I know the author used to be a lawyer, so Mm -hmm. it makes sense. But but then also pulling in cultural ties to it as yeah. far as like the Korean – there's a lot of bits and pieces of information of Korean culture that the author pulled in. So I thought it was really well done and just interesting on a cultural level, a legal app, like level, and then also just the storytelling was really good. Yeah, I totally agree. I thought it was really good. I was totally into it. I would say the first – the book is broken into four days. Mm-hmm. And I would say for the first day, I was kind of like, what's going on? And then second and third day, I was like, okay, who did it? Yes. And then by the fourth day, I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And I loved everything except for the ending to me was a little sweet. I Like a little agree. tied together for mm-hmm. me. Because I felt like the rest of the book, it was kind of like – it was. I wouldn't it was say it's dark. like raw. Yeah, but it. Yeah, it was like a little dark, and it wasn't clean. And I felt like the ending was like very clean mm-hmm. and like almost like after school specially, kind of like you need to do the right thing and like now we we'll have stand two behind pages you. to wrap this up. Yeah, and yeah. I just didn't love that. But I loved everything leading up to like the last ten pages. Mm-hmm. I would say, and I would agree with you too. The first to go back to like the the, the way it's divided, and so every chapter is also like through a different person on trials perspective. And the first day I was like, I have no idea what's happening or who these characters are. And I had to keep going back and actually made a list of chart because I was like, okay, this is Matt and he's the doctor whose hands are seared. And like, this is um, Teresa and she's the mother to Rosa. I wish that there would have been a, like an actual guide guide to say like these these are like almost like a familial chart. I didn't have, I didn't have a hard time with that. And sometimes I do. I didn't because I felt like because the chapter chunks were Mm -hmm. a little longer, I kind of got a sense. Yeah. And because I knew they were all related. Sometimes I feel like in books, you don't know how people are connected. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard, but I felt like she did a good job at least of like, she, you know, she starts with, with young and it's like my husband, Hawk and my daughter, Mary. And then you like meet Mary and you're like, okay. Like, so I did I mean, she could have put one in and mm-hmm. I feel like it would have helped, but I also was kind of like, I shockingly wasn't confused, oh, yeah. which sometimes I really am. And I'm like, where am I? <laughs> um, there's a book called There There um, and it's really, really good. And it's like 30 characters. It's really confusing. It's so have you read it? Yes. It's so confusing. I had to write it my chart <laughs> yes. myself. And my sister-in-law was literally like, she read it. She's like, you need to write a chart of the names. I was like, oh, I'll be fine. Sarah, relax. <laughs> and then like halfway through the book, I like text her. I was like, I'm writing a chart now. I'm halfway yes. through. <laughs> but so I felt like this was definitely like, it was clear to me. I, I guess it, the part that wasn't clear is probably the patients that are dead. Yes, that, that was, was when hard. it was like Kit and then um, her son. When they kept bringing them up, I, right. I was like, "Wait, who are they again?" Because right. they're Cause, not speaking. There, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's. 
I don't know how to do this because I don't know which direction to go first. Let's mm-hmm. just go with the more general stuff of the book, like okay. the plot, the structure, whatever. Let's talk about, did you figure out who did it in the end? Yeah. So this was a little annoying to me. Okay. I figured out, I'm going to say it. Yeah, I yeah. figured out it was Mary like in day two. Okay. I was like, this make, she, I was like, she's mad at Matt. Uh-huh. Cause I think it was day two when they find out about yeah. that her and Matt were smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, you don't find about like the sexual aspect of it till the very end. Right. But when I found out that they were smoking cigarettes, I was like, it makes sense that it was Mary. She hates living in America. She hates that her parents ignore her and they take special care of special needs children or children with special needs, but don't take care of her. Like she would do this. Mm. And so when it was her, I was kind of like, okay. That's so interesting. Okay. Did you figure it out? No. Oh, you didn't. I was like convinced it was Janine, Matt's wife. Oh. And I figured that out on day two. And okay. I was like, it's gotta be Janine. I'm a genius. Can't believe how smart I am. <laughs> I was like really proud of myself. I was like, oh, I think I know who did it. Um, I want to do a poll now to see like who. I know. It I'm out. really curious to know what other. Please DM us and let us know who who done it. Yes. Who you thought did it, and if you were right. And obviously, those of you who like got it wrong and then got it right, don't don't lie to us. Okay. Yes. <laughs> a, I'm I'm a proud got it wrong person. I mean, I knew it wasn't Elizabeth. Like from I, the get-go, oh. of course. It couldn't have been because like – Well, for the first day, I was like, wait, is it her? Because her first right. section is written like she did it. Right. Uh, but she didn't. And I knew it wasn't Pac because like – I don't know. I just – I felt like that seemed too obvious. So I thought I was wrong when they started framing Pac. When they mm. when they started framing him, I was like, oh, I guess it is him and I'm wrong and it's not Mary. Right. And then yeah. I was like, oh, wait, I was right. So, okay, so you don't know this. You haven't listened to this yet, but I do. So I had Angie Kim on uh-huh. for the short stacks, which we talked about the book a little bit. And, we yeah. ta- and she said something that I thought was really interesting. She's like, in all of these kinds of thrillery books, there's only so many people it could be. Right. So like the who done it thing to her is less interesting. She was more interested in Ooh. in the how done it and the why done it. And so she was saying like she doesn't she's not really bothered by people figuring it out earlier because most people didn't know the pieces that kind of fell into place that led to Mary doing it. Well, and she does such a good job of that because it's like if one person would have made one different decision, mm-hmm. Mary wouldn't have done it. Exactly. Or Pac wouldn't have lied or Elizabeth wouldn't would it have been in the chamber. Like it's right. just kind of all of these small layering pieces that made people make these decisions. Right. Totally. I agree. And so when she had said that I was kind of like, okay, I guess I feel less bad for getting it wrong. <laughs> but she's right. It's like there's only 10 characters right. or whatever. So it's like one of those 10 characters. Yeah. And like, you know, it couldn't, we knew it couldn't have been Matt or Rosa or Teresa or TJ because they They're were all, all in the chamber. Right. So those people are obviously off the, off the hook. So then you're left with you know, and we knew it couldn't be young because she was our Inside. narrator for that section, right. unless she was like completely lying to us, which would be, mm-hmm. would make me in a fury. Cause I hate when people do that. I don't like when the narrator is, well, I don't like when the author is like X, Y, and Z. Like the fact is the sky is blue. Right. And then they're like, just kidding. You were wearing glasses. It was green all along. You're right. like, well, fuck you. Like exactly. I, I don't could never that. figure that out, you know? So like she was kind of off. So it really came down to like four people right? or the protesters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't get it right. <laughs> I mean, eventually I figured it out like on the fourth day. Yeah. But. Well, and I think like the first day is it is good because you're like, wait, was it Elizabeth? Oh, it's definitely the protesters. And you're like, right. think it's those people. And then you dive into all these mini stories that are happening and all these like mini pieces that happened to lead up to the event. Right. And it just, 
you start questioning everything. Right. You're and like, it's exciting. Wait, I'm, yeah, it's true. She does a really good job of like kind of like unwinding the suspense yes. and like keeping it going and keeping you engaged, which I really appreciated. Because a lot of the time, mm-hmm. if I thought that I had figured it out, I would have kind of checked out. Right. But in this book, I was like, it's Janine. Let me figure it out. Let me see if I'm right. Obviously, <laughs> it's so true because normally, because um, I, I love like murder mystery, like mystery yeah. books. Like we were talking in my, like I love uh, pretty girls and yeah. tell me lies and stuff like that. So um, I loved the way that I was still intrigued because same. Normally when I figure it out, I'm like, mm, I don't really care. Yeah. And sometimes I'll just flip to the back and be like, was I right? Okay, now I'm done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, she definitely keeps it going. And I think that's probably her commitment to the how done it mm-hmm. and not the who done it. Yeah. So I think yeah. that's also why it's so different than a lot of other courtroom right. justice books or anything that you've read. Right. And like, like you, like, I don't know if I said this. So Angie Kim was a trial lawyer. Mm-hmm. She, first of all, so, so smart, went to Stanford and Harvard. Like, get out of here, Angie. I'm right. so impressed by you. And then she's like, okay, cool. Now I'm just going to casually write. She's a, like, oh, I actually novel. don't, I don't like doing trial law. Right. I'm going to go just write this really great book. I mean, I think she did other things in between. She made it sound like she had taken a lot of time off in between mm-hmm. and was writing articles. And this is just her first book. But, and she has three kids. She has three sons. And she mentioned that like the H bot, mm-hmm. the hyperbaric, oxygen yeah. tank mm-hmm. treatment that the H bot was inspired by one of her sons. He had had some like, uh, it wasn't autism. I think she said maybe it was uh-huh. like a GI gastro uh-huh. issue, um, but that she had taken him to them. And so when she was writing this book, she oh, said, wait, so this is a real thing. H bot. Oh yeah. 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 Oh. My mom's done it. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's a real thing. Now I feel really stupid. No, no, no. It's a real thing. I didn't look you, it up. Oh no, it's real. Okay. You go in and they like, it's like to helps to heal. So like right. my mom had like a wound that wasn't uh-huh. healing. And so she had to go do like H bot treatments. Oh, this makes everything way better now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought I was thing. like, Oh, this is just like a cool medical thing that, oh, they, no. that she created. No, it's oh, a real, real okay. thing. Um, now I've got research. To do. Yeah. You got to go check it out. But so she, so Angie kind of said like, this book, she was her first book mm-hmm. and it was the first book she ever tried to write and that she wove these three separate parts of her life together, one of which is her child sickness mm-hmm. and like that part of it. One of it was her having been a trial lawyer and then the other part, and I'm doing this in reverse chronological, was like her being an immigrant because she came to America yeah. when she was like 11 or 12. She said, pre- she said preteen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because I think – you know, you hear this a lot, like write what you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what makes this book so good. It's like she knew what she was talking about in a real way. So right. I didn't, it didn't feel fake or forced to me. I, yes, I totally agree. One of the things I'm curious about, and I don't know if you guys talked about this, is does she have children in her life that have special needs or disabilities? Because the way she wrote about like being a parent mm-hmm. with a child that has, just different needs right was really i thought intriguing and beautiful and like the way she captured the emotions of a parent Mm. that's trying to take care of their child was just like i'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it so that i thought she did an amazing job with that what she mentioned was that all three of her children had health issues but they're all okay now or they're all so i don't i she didn't really go any deeper than that but i i thought about that as well because there's kind of two – I was kind of of two minds about it. Mm-hmm. I thought some of the stuff where she talks about like there's the scene where Rosa and Elizabeth are talking about how like sometimes they wish that their kids were dead. Or Teresa. Like, t- I mean, sorry, yeah. Teresa was saying that they sometimes yeah. wish their kids were dead or that they didn't have to do this or like that their kids were okay right. and like 
none of this was on their plate. I thought that was like really honest and real. And I I could really relate to that because, you know, I'm pretty fucking selfish and I can't imagine taking care of another person, let alone another person who has like so, so many challenges that you're responsible for. Right. And and like, especially in their cases where they're it's not like their children can heal. Like Rosa can't right. heal. Like, right. Right. You know, and like, like that you are, you're <laughs> around other people who have kids who are quote unquote healthy and like, like going, obviously, yeah, yeah, going to college and participating exactly. in sports right. and, you know, walking, even right. just simple things. And I think I, yeah, I thought that that was really truthful and like raw. And right. I just, I, I do a lot of work with, um, the national down syndrome foundation in Denver. Mm. And so, um, reading that part and knowing families that have especially like varying degrees of children with down syndrome mm-hmm. like fun- highly functioning kids with down syndrome and then some that are not and are you know right. um have more disabilities and so i thought a lot about those families that i've worked with and that um that i know and just thinking like about them especially when they have you know healthy children right Right, because there's because Rosa's sibling, right, Carlos, Carlos, yes, he's like the other child, mm-hmm. and just like what pressure that puts on a parent to make a face, right, and not ever like be honest and say like this is really hard and and I, like I hate this. I hate this, this sucks, right, and right, like, like that part where um, Teresa's in the courtroom or like she's getting coffee before the court and like mm-hmm. says that the barista like noticed her and how she hasn't been noticed in years mm. by a man. I was just like. Yeah. And she talks about like everyone calls her mother Teresa and like how she hates that and they only knew and like this and that. Just felt like, yeah, I think that that stuff was really good and the pressures Mm -hmm. of like being mother Teresa or whatever, you know. And also Elizabeth, like, yes, quote unquote, curing her child's autism and like whether she actually did or whether it was a misdiagnosis, which they kind of throw out. And like this idea that that children who have these developmental challenges can be changed at all. Right. And then like the idea that she wants to change him to be normal and like right. part of it's like, oh, that's kind of sick. But also like, don't you want your child to be normal? So right. then it was. And but what is normal? Because it right. turns out he's just a weird fucking kid. It sounds right. like. And it sounds so- like he just like likes rocks and like. Right. Probably because she makes him watch National Geographic right. documentaries all the right. time. All the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's like, I don't know. It, that was, I just love the way that she, I think really well described challenges of motherhood right and like different emotions that you go through right and because i think i mean i'm not a mom and you're not a mom so we're literally talking out of our asses what we imagine it would be like to be moms but i am gonna hard having a dog baby though (laughs) i have no pets (laughs) i have no children but i i think that that competition or like comparison is part of it even if your kids are quote-unquote normal or healthy or or don't have developmental challenges or are fully able or whatever it is. And that all of that is on a spectrum as well. Oh, totally. Right. It's like, oh, my kid was walking at eight months is a, is a brag, right? Right. Or like, oh, my kid can sing their ABCs at a year and a half. And like that, that competition, or I cured my kid's autism or (laughs) my kid can say, like, it's all on a spectrum of your kid's ability level and how that reflects on you. It's so true. You know, like my kid got into this college, my kid got into, I don't know, the exclusive dance team and you right. didn't. Exactly. My kid's playing varsity football. Right. right. And that if your kid doesn't, that you're somehow responsible or you right. failed or whatever it is. I think that like, 
I don't know, parenting has really changed and like what the expectations are. I was reading, I've talked about this book before. It's called Small Animals by Kim Brooks. Mm. And basically the story, it's her, it's her memoir. She's a journalist. She was visiting her mom and dad in Virginia and she had a son and they were getting ready to leave and he couldn't find the headphones. And so she went to Target with him and left him in the car for like two minutes while she ran in. She says in the book, she could see him in the car. She could see the car the whole Mm -hmm. time. By the time she got back, they left and then she got a phone call from the police when she landed in Chicago because someone had reported and taken pictures and it was, ended up being this whole big thing about how <sighs> she neglected her kid, all this stuff. And the bo- then the book goes into her like breaking down how parenting has changed and like how because people become parents later and it is now become like a choice mm-hmm. that people make versus like... 30 or 40 years ago, it was like, you could get married and have kids and like, it just was part of life and it was expected and your kids were like another part of your life, right. but it wasn't the biggest choice you made and it wasn't this decision that you made mm-hmm. and it wasn't a reflection of like how successful you are. Like, mm-hmm. cause now with women working, which, you know, team work or don't work, do whatever you want, but that there's like a pressure to you know, get started in your career before you have kids. Mm-hmm. Then when you make that choice, you want to be the perfect mom and have the stroller and the car seat and the... And also work full time and do it all and be great at exactly. everything. And so then all of that anxiety becomes part of like, I'm choosing to have a child as opposed to like, we had a kid and also mm-hmm. like my yeah. kid can go play outside because I fucking care. That's just my kid. Right. And now it's like my kid has to be in extracurriculars because I have to get into Harvard. And you're like, lady, your kid is six weeks old. Like what right. are you doing? Or they're like putting their kid on the wait list for a special preschool at like two years old. Right. Like, wait, what? Well, so I have a friend who just had a baby June 3rd. And we just went and met the baby last weekend. And she was like, I just found out we got into the preschool we wanted to go to. And I was like, well, when did you go on the wait list? And she said when she was 14 weeks pregnant. What? (laughs) 14 weeks pregnant, she went and got on the wait list of this school. Oh, my God. Uh, Uh, I don't (laughs) – you know what? (laughs) My friend Sally said this, and she she does not have uh, her own biological child, but she's married to a man that has a child, okay. and she's basically she's been raising this part parent parenting part raising this child okay. since it was since he was young, okay. and she was like, "Here's the deal, Rachel. We all fuck up our kids in some way. My parents fucked me up in some ways, and they were great parents. And I'm probably gonna accidentally do something right. wrong to Noah and not realize it. And she's right. like, you just have to do the best you can. And right. I was like, that's the most real raw advice I've right. ever heard. Right. <laughs> like, right. You just mess up." You're, par- you're human. Just like you mess up in your partnership with your spouse or exactly. whatever or your friendships or your work relationships, like you also mess up your kids. But yeah, so in this book, Small Animals, she basically like goes on and on to talk about like how this a- parenting anxiety mm-hmm. is destroying kids' independence and is part of the reason that there are so many like depressed children because oh. they don't have the independence that, like we had. Right. Like I couldn't go and like take the city bus wherever I wanted when I was eight. But like we could walk around the neighborhood. Like I could walk to school. Right. I don't see a lot of kids in my neighborhood just walking to school. You know, it's like that's not something that – Yeah. Or if I – when I do, they're accompanied by parents. With parents, right. Or adults, yeah. It's like you don't see a ton of like 10-year-olds. Like you might see like 15-year-olds, you know, at the corner store or whatever. But like you're not seeing eight-year-olds. And like we could go to the Quick Mart. We could walk down the hill and go to the Quick Mart. And so like some of that independence that we're taking from our kids because we're worried about like abductions Mm -hmm. 
which apparently don't exist. Basically, the book was basically like people don't take kids anymore now than they did before. They actually take kids less now. I'm going to read this book. It's really good. I know people are like, why did you read this book? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, you're not even a parent. I'm like, I know, but I'm interested in parenting because so many of my friends are. Yeah. And I'm interested like one day when I become a parent, if I become a parent, I'm interested. How can I do right by my kid? And like, am I making it about me? Yes. You know, and I think that's also part of this book, Miracle Creek, to yes. bring it back, is like these moms are struggling by doing right by their kids, but also making sure their kids are a good reflection on them. Yeah. And I would say like I so identified with Elizabeth mm-hmm. in the way that – because I'm I'm incredibly type A. Like yeah. it makes me terrified. I don't know that I want children, honestly, but yeah. – um, if I ever do, I know I'd have to do a lot of therapy to make yeah. sure I didn't fuck them up. <laughs> um, but just like the, the type A and like how she talks about how she's doing all these treatments for TJ and uh, right. Henry. Henry. Sorry. Yeah. TJ is the other one. Um, Henry, how she's doing all these treatments for Henry and how it's especially when the last part where she unpacks the schedule and you mm-hmm. look and you're like, oh, my God, like oh my, they're not like, living. Yeah. But she's doing it all like. I think she's struggling with how am I am I doing this because I want him to be better or am I doing this because I want him to look better for me? Mm. And I think that it was probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, but I I could totally see I think that would be really easy to fall into as right. a type A person and a parent and especially a single parent. Right. Because like how can I control the situation that I actually have no control over? Exactly. That's exactly I'm a type what A too and that's oftentimes I'm like, am I trying to control something that I actually am doing nothing and I'm just making myself crazy? Exactly. Like I believe that Elizabeth had good intentions in all of those right. therapies. I do too. I really believe it. I think that she started dissecting her intentions as people are dissecting her. Right. And then she... Right. And also like think about in your own life how easy it is to like say you're doing something mm-hmm. for the right reason and believe that even though maybe your motives aren't as pure. Like it's easy yes. to say I'm doing this for my kid because I love my kid and I'm a mom and that's what moms do. Right. But it's like it's a lot harder to be like I'm doing this for my kid and I love my kid and also maybe I'm doing this because it gives me purpose in my life or gives me organization in my life or it gives me a reason to be celebrated and I get to be the coolest mom in the autism group, right? Right. And it's like, it's your motives. It's not that your motives aren't pure. It's just that there's more in it than just, I'm being a good mom because my kid, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I've been like learning and focusing a lot of meditation on this year is intention versus impact. And I kept mm. thinking about that in this book. That's so good. Like, what? And I, and just kind of like trying to check myself and call myself out on it. Like, okay, what's my intention, but what's my impact? Cause if mm-hmm. my intention is good, but my impact shit, it doesn't really matter what my intention right. is. Right. Um, what if your intention is shit, but your impact is good? Ooh, that's a good question. I think mm-hmm. I, uh, like for like, let me use an example. Let's think, yeah, let's like let's this. say since we're talking about mm-hmm. children and this is a political moment, the children at the border mm. in America who are being just totally abused and put in these camps, etc. And let's say not you. Let's let's say you, but you can say me. Let's say you donate a hundred dollars to races, which mm-hmm. is that charity that you all should be donating money to yes. because you want to post on your social media that you did it. Uh, so your intention isn't good, but your impact is. I think that, oh, that's really tricky. I think that that would go back to, uh, we're all innately selfish as people. So right. it becomes a really hard thing. And I think about this a lot with charity work, like how much are people doing so that they can say that I did this right. versus how, but it is still impacting people right. in a good way. It's a good impact. So I think that that's a unique situation where the impact 
at this, I mean, those we need to be donating money to Reese's. So right. I think, yeah, let's let's go with it's good. I, I actually I guess, do think it's okay. I think I if think your it's impact okay. is good, I think if your impact is good and your intention is bad, that's something you need to work on yes. in therapy. But I think if your impact is bad and your intention is good, that's something you need to put a pause on. Yes, yeah, that's going to be my official take for now. Please, I like it. You can at me about this if you want. I'm interested to hear what you guys think. So if there's things you're like, hmm shout us out. Yeah. We'll link to our socials and everything in the show notes so you can find us. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, I want to switch slightly mm-hmm. in the same world about the children. So oh. I, after I read the book, I really liked it, but there was something that was kind of making me feel a little bit uneasy mm-hmm. about it, and I couldn't figure out what it was. So I did the thing that you're probably not supposed to do, which is I went to Goodreads and I looked at some of the negative reviews of this oh, book. Oh, okay. And I think, I can't remember who it was, but whoever wrote this review, they kind of impacted my understanding of the protesters and how they function in this book mm. because they're really villainized. And I think that what they're saying 
isn't necessarily wrong. That like there's something to allowing your children to be who they are, yes. whether or not they're they're abled in the way mm-hmm. that you want them to be abled. Yes. And that like villainizing these people who are protesting you know, these treatments that some of them sound really fucking bad, like drinking right. bleach. Isn't and then the, like great. the metal shots, the shot, right. Exactly. The lead, yeah, yeah. To like get rid, you get know, metal and like there blood. is like, and that was kind of like a weird, like anti-vax moment. Yes. And so I, I wonder if like that part of the book, like making, like not giving the protesters a narrating voice in the book and not giving any of the children a narrating voice in the book minimizes like those characters' fullness and it makes them two-dimensional mm. and it doesn't give us an opportunity to really engage with the debate. It really forces us to side with Elizabeth and Teresa in a way that it you know, like we're not yeah. given that opportunity for, I can't remember the woman's name who, like, I can't even remember her name, the woman who was in charge of oh, the protest. Oh, I can remember she had silver hair because it kept yeah. describing it. Yeah. Um, but, but I agree. I didn't, I didn't feel like, honestly, when I was reading it, I, yes, you, you could tell that the author was trying to villainize the protesters and right. like the narrative, but I didn't feel that way. Cause I, when I was listening to, it, I was like, oh, or reading it, I was like, well, I don't think that they're doing anything wrong. They're just saying kids should be how they are and you shouldn't be forcing right. all these and maybe just like love them and accept them for who they are. And when your child is staring at rocks and talking about them for an hour, just appreciate that that's something that they're doing and that they're interested in. Right. So, right. yeah, but I like the idea of having one of the protesters have a voice. I didn't really think about yeah, that. Yeah, I just – I couldn't quite put my finger, finger on what it was mm-hmm. that didn't quite sit right with me. And I think that that's what it was is it's like these – this other point of view isn't inherently wrong or wrong mm-hmm. at all. Like I think that there's different ways – to look at ability, right? And right. like you would never tell someone who had a kid who was like a protege piano player who was like on the spectrum right. towards like being a, you know, a cellist or something that their kid needed to be changed. So why would you tell someone on or like why would someone on the spectrum who was obsessed with mm-hmm. rocks or whatever it is? I know I'm super simplifying this and I don't mean to be, but I am. I'm sorry. But I like I just think that there's something to be said about that that argument mm-hmm. should have I would have liked to see it represented at least equally to the argument that we got for the moms who were doing the H bomb, yeah. you know, and like that that is also valid. And I, I so I um I have a lot of deaf family. Um okay. and to kind of bring that back, it's very do you know anyone in the deaf community? No, I don't. Okay, so the in the deaf community it's like incredibly proud to be deaf. Like they it you it's really, really offensive if you say it's a disability or mm. you have any type like they are deaf and proud. Mm-hmm. And so growing up with that, it was a really interesting because I kept thinking about that as reading this book. Because a lot of times, even in the deaf community, if parents get their children cochlear implants, mm-hmm. those children will be ostracized from the deaf community. They're like, oh, you're not really deaf. Interesting. So it's like a it's really looked down upon for deaf parents to get their children cochlear implants. So normally they don't. And normally it's hearing parents that have deaf children that get their children oh, cochlear implants to make them hearing. Interesting. And so huh. it, it's like going back to like that, what do you, how do you label it as a disability or what do you just say? Like, this is my child and I love them. And they're going to live their best life as this is how right. they are. Well, I think that's where the phrase like differently abled comes from, yes. right? That it's like, it's not a disability. You're not, 
less than yes. you're just it's just different than and even that still we talk about my language. language around that I'm learning yeah I mean I think language is hard sometimes because even when you say differently able different right. than what what's the norm right, right? you know so I, I I don't have a better word than differently able that I've been taught but I would be open to also learn yeah, if anyone you know. knows any yeah. words or has any advice right because I think that like because <laughs> like know. there's all a lot of yeah. the words that we use are are ableist like even right. if you say like someone is like developmentally challenged you know right. like, all those words it's not there's not a lot of great language that I've been presented with correct um, but I think that like I just I really would have liked to have a little bit more representation from the other side Mm -hmm. or a different, not the other side, not that it's binary, but just just, a different side or like hearing from Henry. I mean, I know that he's dead, so we can't (laughs) or like TJ. I don't, I don't know how you would write that. That's probably like a challenge logistically Um, for Angie Kim to write that, but just, I don't, I don't know. It just kind of felt like, like there, there could have been more fullness to the narrative when it came to to the treatments and, you know, autism or do, whatever it yeah. was. Yeah, because I would be interested to see, like, what the processes are. Like, are they doing anything for their children? Are they, like, against everything, right? right? Like, are they giving their children speech therapy or right. going to different types of groups? Right. Or are they just like, no, this is my child and this is how they are and we're just living, right. like, a, a holistic right. or, like, a yeah, as-is lifestyle? I don't know what you would even call it. But, like, because yeah. you also think, like, you hear stories or, like, there's, like, movies like Rain Man or right. whatever where it's, like, people are, like, really good at math or, like, yeah. crazy at puzzles or whatever it is and that they're on, you know, the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess we all are because it's a spectrum. But um, – and that they're celebrated. And right. then there are other people who are on the autism spectrum that we're trying to cure, right, right. in this book. So I'm just – like, I would be curious – I guess the reason that we would celebrate someone would be because we we think as a society that they add value in some way, whether it's mm-hmm. a protege pianist or a mathematician or whatever it is. Right. But that is su- such bullshit too. Like who are we to say that you're valuable or not? Right. But America loves to do that. It's so, so true. <laughs> God, this like diving into like elitism. I know. There's like <laughs> so like, much It's there. a lot to unpack. Yeah. But like so many artists that are celebrated have, you know, mental disabilities or mental right. challenges or emotional challenges or they, you know, like their chemical balance. Mm-hmm. They, like there's all sorts of things. And those are people that we celebrate and love. But like, I don't have to tell you, Van Gogh cut off his own fucking ear. Right. Like, <laughs> Should he have been an age bot? Like, or what about he... the person with autism that is not highly functioning and is right. working at the grocery store and bagging groceries? Like, right. are we saying that they're not valuable because they didn't learn? They're not a protege right. at math or science right. or a piano, or like that their parents should have like tried to change right. that. It, yeah, I just I think that there's a lot in that conversation, and I'm not super versed on it. But this no. book did kind of open my eyes to that, and like I said, reading that review on Goodreads, which I'll try to find again and link to it in the show notes it did it did kind of like lock into what i was un- i feeling mm-hmm. uneasy about that i couldn't quite articulate so i think I, that like at at the very least like this book at least brings up mm-hmm. that kind of conversation and you know I, i'm not one to tell any author that they need to do everything with right. their book like i appreciate what angie kim did here but i do think yeah. that there could be room for more of that conversation. I agree. I would have loved to see that too. And yeah. maybe that's something that she can do in her next in book. Her next book. Or someone else could pick up the mantle. Oh, yeah, or someone else can tell me all the stories. Yeah. Um, okay, let's shift slightly to the um, – there's a sexual assault yes. in this book. 
And I'm, you have, you mentioned last week that you were uh, part of a sexual assault. You mm-hmm. were sexually assaulted. I shouldn't say part of, cause that's <laughs> weird, but that you were sexually assaulted and yeah. you, in your book, you talk about, but there's a whole, you have a whole history with sex and, uh-huh. and your body, et cetera. And I'm really curious what you thought about the stuff between Matt and Mary. Okay. So the first time it it's described, it's through Matt's point of view. Right. And we'll back up a little bit. Sorry. Oh, sorry yeah. Let me, let me back up yeah. a little bit. So Matt is like a 30 something doctor. He was in he, the chamber. Like 33. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the chamber when it blew up his, he loses some fingers, his hands are scarred. He was in a relationship or he's married to a woman named Janine who is trying to get pregnant, mm-hmm. is having a hard time getting pregnant. Another type A in the book. There's a lot of type A's in this book, yes, which is probably are. why we liked it. Yeah. Um, and so he starts like hanging out with Mary, who is the daughter of the people who own the HBOT. Mm-hmm. She is a Korean immigrant. She's seven, 16 when they start hanging out. Yes. She's 16 and they're smoking by the creek, the Miracle Creek, if you will. And like drinking and stuff. And and- later they drink, but at first they're just smoking and like talking. And his wife, Matt's wife, mm-hmm. Janine, is also Korean. Right. Then Matt starts to like be attracted to her. Yeah. And now you can go. Well, and yeah, and I think that a lot of the infertility stuff was really interesting. Yeah. Also, I was like, I have some friends that are going through that right now. So that kind of hit home for me seeing like that here, knowing my couple friends and knowing uh, my female friends specifically that are like going through that and how it's affecting their marriage because it is really difficult. Right. But with that being said, so the first time you... And you're not sure really until about, I would say, like two thirds of the way through the book, like yeah. if they had sex or what happened. Like what happened. If they you know, something kissed. happened, but you can't figure out what it is. Yeah. And so finally, he tells his side of the story. And it definitely, it does not sound consensual from his side, but it doesn't sound. No, I feel like he does make it sound kind of consensual. A little bit, like but he like, questions it afterwards. Like they got drunk and then like they fell to the ground yeah. and then they were kissing but then he runs it, away. Right. So it's like... But he, does he run away? So then... Okay. So we'll say what happened. Sorry. Yeah. We have to say what no, happened no, no. just in case you haven't read it. Yeah. Um, but why are you listening? We told you we're spoiling everything. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, he... Um, they fall to the ground. They start kissing. And then yeah. he like unzips his pants and takes her hand and like gives himself a hand job basically. Right. And like finishes her, like, on her hand. And like forces her hand. Forces her yeah. hand. It's like holding her hand over him as he basically masturbates but uses her hand essentially. Correct. And he kind of like looks up at her and she kind of looks like, what the fuck? Like what? Like, yeah. she, he describes it as her looking like kind of confused, like what just happened? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets up and runs away. And we're kind of left trying to figure out, did he run away because he remembered that mm-hmm. she was 16? Or did he run away because he thought that what he did was like violent or aggressive or is he embarrassed because he's married? Like it's not clear what gets him to run away or if it's a combination of the three things or if he thinks he's going to get in trouble. I think probably now that I'm like thinking about it again, probably thinking he's going to get in trouble because right. yeah, but it's just, that was really hard to read, especially like as we're talking about it, there's gray lines, right? Right. Um, I I don't believe that there are gray lines, but it's a challenging subject to talk right. about, right? Because there's always- she does a good job of, of giving us the opportunity to find gray lines if we're looking for yes, them. Yes, exactly. And but then when you hear Mary talk about it, it was absolutely non consensual, right. and it was also the kiss her was first- consensual. Yeah, the like kiss she was, was like thought that they were going to kiss, and he was going to be like, "I love you," right? 
but that was also like her first sexual experience. She said that, yeah. that was like her first kiss. So that would be incredibly confusing to have your and violating and violating and just yes, devastating. To be like, and especially it happens so fast. And that's normally what happens in sexual assault because predators take advantage of the fact that they have a limited amount of time before your mind is clicking right. in and saying, "Oh shit." I, right. what's happening? Like the element of surprise. Exactly. And that's exactly what I feel like Matt did. And it made, it made me just hate him. Right. I was just like this piece of shit. Yeah. I want it. Like he needs to go to jail. I hate right. him. Um, and then he goes on disgusting. to have like a wet dream about her. I know. And he has, and that was like after the trial. Yeah. Or during the trial, was, right? Yeah. It was like the day four, I think. Yes. And you're like, ew, you gross, sick man. Also like, let's take, Age aside, because that's the grossest part, right? right? He's much older than her. She is a child. He's like twice was, her age. Yes, so that's obviously this and she's is wrong. and she's a child. Yes, she's sixteen. But even if it even say she was twenty three, it yeah. would still be disgusting and violating. Like she did not know what was happening. She did not consent to that. It's wrong. And it's he was just his character just like grossed me out yeah. really bad, especially just the way that he seemed to be completely in understanding. Since day one of what his wife was going through with her fertility mm. journal journey, I just didn't feel like he was supportive. Like he just kind of talked about her in really negative ways. Right. And it's like, yeah, I, I think that for me, ugh. for Matt, I really wanted to like him from the beginning. Me too. At the I beginning. like really <laughs> wanted to like him and I really wanted to believe that he wasn't. Like, I really wanted to believe he was a good guy. That's how I should phrase it. And so I was really like, oh, I understand how it could be hard if your partner was turning sex into just like a vehicle to make a baby mm -hmm. and your partner was like kind of throwing you under the bus with her parents and you felt like you weren't good enough and how that could be alienating and like you could have like a relationship before the anything sexual yeah. with like a younger girl who like kind of reminded you of like your wife in a way where she really liked you and looked at you like right. you were great. Like I totally felt like Angie Kim does a great job of like making him really empathetic. Like where you Absolutely. really are like, I feel bad for this guy. Like this has got to be hard. And then, you know, your wife is like giving you a blow job and then taking the cum and putting it in yeah. herself to try to get like pregnant. a like, baster. <laughs> yeah. Like I get it. Like that stuff is fucking tricky as shit. Like that's hard. Mm hmm. And then the way that she writes that scene where it's almost like a love scene and I'm reading it and I'm like, wait, 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 yes. She's still 16. Like, I'm like trying to be like, wait, what day is this? Is she 18? Is she 16? Yeah. Like, what's going on? It's her 17th birthday is when it happens. Correct. So she's 17 for 30 minutes. Um, and, and by the end of the book, really, you realize that Matt's a piece of shit. Absolutely. But all the way up until even after that scene, and I hate to admit this, but even after that scene, I hadn't fully turned on him. It wasn't until mm -hmm. I read Mary's description of yeah. it that I really was like, oh no, fuck you, Matt. You're dumb. Yeah. You're garbage. No, totally. I think you're right. She does a really good job of kind of making you fall in love with him. Yeah. It's very tricky what she does. Mm -hmm. And and I, I liked it. I mean, I mm -hmm. thought it was really well done, but it is tricky and it definitely like shows her skill as a writer that she's like crafted she's taken us on this whole journey mm -hmm. with this guy. And she's also kind of made Mary a little bit insufferable in some ways. Oh yeah. Like you know? I didn't like Mary's character. I didn't like Mary either, but like, so she's really taken this like kind of like good old boy 
doctor, mm-hmm. you know, star witness. Was it the first scene you see him? He's on the, um, the stand, trial yeah. and he is like, you're feeling guilty and sad for him immediately because he's talking about how he lost his fingers and his yeah. hands are scarred and how he can't be a doctor anymore because right. he can't really work. And so immediately you're like, oh, the like, poor guy. Let's feel so, so much bad for this white. Yeah. And he's rich. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, let's feel bad for the white rich guy. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, so she really, it's, it's, I don't want to say manipulative what Angie Kim does. It's smarter than that. It's not malicious, I don't think. It's just, I don't know, maybe it is. She, but it is, it is that same thing from your book. Yes. We believe men and we doubt women. Yes. So even as he's telling us what he's doing to a 16 year old girl, I'm sitting there being like, well, you know, and it wasn't like each other. Yeah. Like, you know, and then I'm like, get to her section. I'm like, you're an asshole, Tracy. Why did you even, you know, but it's like, she's putting what you talk about Mm -hmm. in your book to use in, in fiction in fiction yeah like she's like really exemplifying it and i thought it was like it yeah like reading that was like definitely a little triggering yeah seeing that because it's just like thinking about the manipulation and the different perspectives like right and just uh, poor mary like she's like who's gonna believe me and i shouldn't i shouldn't have been drinking and i shouldn't have been smoking and i should have been hanging out dress. with him yeah right i shouldn't have been doing all of these things that led up to the what may which then enables her to keep silent right? because she realizes or who's going to believe her. Who's going to believe me. I've been lying about smoking and drinking and hanging out. And he's a doctor and I'm 16. Exactly. You know, like there's just like the power dynamics. It's, it's all textbook abuse and assault, but like the way that she writes it, it doesn't feel like that, you know? And then all of a sudden, at least for me, all of a sudden I was like, Oh God, I got played. Angie Kim played me. I'm an asshole. (laughs) We hate Matt. Yeah, we hate Matt now, but yeah, now only do. because Angie Kim made me. If she right. hadn't written it from Mary's perspective, I wonder if I would have, if I would ha- hate him as much now as I mm. did. Because I, right afterwards, I didn't hate him a ton. Well, and that makes I sense. I just was kind right? of like, because it's his perspective, that? right? Like, if the, what's like anyone who's in an abusive situation, the man, like, well, let's, abuse is can be between any gender, but let's say it's a man and a woman. Um, like the man abuses a woman and his story and his perspective is going to be that he didn't. Right. And that it's sympathetic to him. Exactly. Right. Abusers don't admit that they abuse. Right. Like, of course. And especially in contexts like this where it's kind of tricky and a lot of manipulation and power dynamics going Mm -hmm. into evolve where it's not like, Oh, he tied her up and put her in a van and raped her. Right. Right. Where it's like clear cut. Exactly. So, of course it's like from his perspective you're right. feeling sympathy or like not sympathy you're just like along on this journey with him right and then all of a sudden you're mary's perspective and it's like oh shit no this is actually what happened right 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 and like you get to see it more clearly or maybe you know both sides which mm-hmm. i hate that phrase but you know from both perspectives we're seeing something slightly skewed on either side mm-hmm. but when you get her perspective it really brings it into focus what actually went down when and when she's like it was transactional and he used me i yeah. think those are the words and i was Something just like oh yeah, yeah it's really heartbreaking and then you think like what is her life i mean so i mean let's continue what is her yes. life so she lit the fire but her dad had put everything in place trying to frame the protesters correct to be like look they were gonna light the fire but it blew out and then she finds it and she lights it kind of in like a 
kind of like a spite. Yeah, kind of spite and kind of like a fantasy, like a not well thought out thing that teenagers might right. do. Like, and she also thought it wasn't. She thought on. that no one was there because Janine had thrown the matches at her and said, "Like he went home already. He went home already. already. No one's there, and she didn't and the see power any cars wasn't in the parking lot. And there's no yeah. So <sighs> it was a bunch of like right. White, like we said, she laid out so many pieces to make this right. how really well right exactly and then like elizabeth finds everything afterwards right just the whole thing like kind of unfolds in this crazy way and then we get to the end and young the mother figures it all out and she basically is like you need to come forward and the dad's like no you don't i hate pack i also hated him <laughs> so okay i did not hate pack i am not the child of immigrants okay. but my father was an older black man mm-hmm. and i I could kind of relate mm. to that kind of parenting. Though my dad always used to be like, if you did something wrong, you have to come tell me because who else will be on your side? That was like always his thing. Like, he's like, if you kill someone, you better come tell me. I'm like, why you want to gossip <laughs> yeah. about me? No. <laughs> but like, but I could, I understand that like, we have to stick together. We're a family. We're, how can we fix this with the least damage possible? Yeah. And I think like, again, I'm not a Korean immigrant, but I do think that sometimes like, I think that there is similarity in like older Mm -hmm. cultural, whether it's black or, you know, Latino or Latinx or Asian or whatever, that there is like some sense of like, it's us versus them. Mm -hmm. And like the white people won't understand. So how can we protect ourselves? What little lies can we tell to like protect the family Yeah, and our reputation? And like, we don't want to be the only Asian family in this town. And we started a fire. Like, you know, like I think that there's, so like, I, I think Pac makes bad choices, but I understood. I felt like Angie Kim did a good job for me, at least to understand how he got there. Yeah. Okay, that's a really good point. Because I was I was just annoyed that he kept lying to Young. That's when I was like, I hate you. Like, right. this is your wife. Tell right, her. Right, but I don't like, you think he was trying to protect her because if she didn't know, she wouldn't have to lie. I, you know, he was definitely trying to protect her. But I was just like, stop lying. Yeah, stop with the lie. Stop lying. lying. Just tell her. Like, because I think that if you would have told her from the beginning, she would have been like, okay, we're doing it. Like, we're covering this up. We're doing this. Right. Don't you think? I do. She, she seemed gung-ho about it in the beginning. Yeah. So I think that if you would have been like, okay, this is what happened. This is like every single thing. Right. Let's figure out how to minimize this and save our family. I think she would have been on board. It was just like all of the lies leading everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That she yeah. was like, no, I don't trust you. Yeah. No, I agree. I think... It's hard because I feel like the way that the book plays out is that Young then ends up being like, we must come forward. Like too many people have died. How can you possibly do this? And then he's like, no, we must protect the family. And it gets really binary and like really after school, especially to me at the end. And then Mary runs into her arms and she strokes her hair. Yeah. And she's like, she did in Korea. Right. Exactly. And then it's like, everything's okay now, but it's not. And Mary goes to jail. And then, and I nobody don't. else goes to jail, which is also like what the actual fuck, right? Like, let's Matt assaulted a teenager. That's like, what I'm saying. If this all came he, out, why didn't he get anything? I feel like he got like probation. I'm like, well, did he? I thought just Pot got probation. I think did he get? No, I thought Matt got off, but maybe he did. I don't know. I can't remember. I was in a rage. I was really mad too. I think I'm gonna look. All right. So here's what but, she says about okay. who got what. Okay. Oh, oh. So Mary, three forty-seven. Mary and Pac were in prison, and she wondered if that was truly 
fair because Mary faced years in prison, 10 minimum, when others who contributed to the casual chain of that night got nothing. Yes, Mary set the fire, but she wouldn't have if Janine hadn't lied that the dive was over and Matt had left. She couldn't have if Pac hadn't left the cigarette and matches where he had. And Matt, he was the casual root of everything. Without him, without his actions and lies to Marie or to Mary and Janine, they wouldn't have done what they what they'd done the night of the explosion. Even the cigarette pack placed under the oxygen tube was from Matt was Matt's from the trash pile in the hollow tree stumps. And yet the law considered Janine a mere bystander, assigning no blame to her, and Pac and Matt got nothing for their roles in causing the fire itself. Pac received 14 months in jail and Matt a suspended sentence with probation for perjury and obstruction of justice. So Matt didn't get anything for the treatment of her daughter. He only got it for for lying. Which is just like kind of a sad poetic. Right. Which is back to your point. Believe men and tell them. Right. And that the fact that like men as abusers in this country, well, Every, all everywhere. over the world um get nothing right they're and, more they're more accountable to the patriarchal sy- sy- system than they are to the women who live in the worlds with them exactly. like he didn't get in trouble for what he did to her he got in trouble for lying to the and, government and if he would have never done that she would have never set the fire and she would have never been in prison women are always placed in uh, uh, people women that have gone through abuse always take the brunt of the punishment. Not only do you have to live with the abuse, but you have to live with everything else afterwards, right? Right. Like, now Mary is going to need a lot of therapy and probably anti-anxiety medicines. Right. When is she going to be able to rebuild her life? Right. When she's minimum 30. Like 28, yeah. yeah. And then... I thought it was also interesting because like, Young was like, she'll be able to go to college and have a family. It's like, will she, though? Yeah. Well, Ten years in prison changes we'll someone. I mean, also, we'll see what kind of, like, like, I mean, let's not even talk about what happens when you get out of prison. Right. You can't live in government housing. You have to check the felony box. Like, there's a lot. Maybe she could get married. Maybe she could have kids. But, you know, that's not a given. Right. And living a normal life is not right. going to be a given. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, do you have anything else that you want to say about any sections of the book before we kind of wrap it up? Um, no. I really I – th- I think the biggest thing that I really loved – bringing to the courtroom was the Korean culture. I thought that was really interesting and well done. And something that you don't really, I don't think I've read a lot of books that dive into Korean culture as far as fiction goes. Yeah. Well, you should read, um, if you leave me by crystal Hanukkah, it's so good. We did on the show. It's fiction. It's amazing. And it's about, it's about the Korean war and it's like a multi-generational. It's really, really good. I love, um, but there has been in the last year, like last summer, there were all these Korean, and Asian in mm-hmm. general, young, like debut women authors whose books came out and there's so many good ones. So okay, you that's, should check um, it out. I'm picking back up after my year of writing. So now I'm my yes, year of reading. You're ready. Yes. You're ready to do it. But yeah, I awesome. do think she did a great job of representing, like of bringing that aspect to it mm-hmm. too, like the kind of the casual racism and the overt racism and the microaggressions yes. and like the language stuff and like Pac on the stand. Mm-hmm. And just also the courtroom scenes in general are so good. They're, they're so, so good. engaging. You're just, just like, when's the next time they're in court? And then, yeah, Abe and um, what was the- I can't remember her name. The Both of the prosecutors. Yeah, the, were, yeah, the defense uh, and the d- prosecution. Yes, were 
the characters were amazing. So I thought they were just phenomenal. Them. I love them. Yeah. And yeah, I think I also thought that um, Angie Kim did a good job of bringing in like different ethnicities in general because Abe was yeah. a black guy and Teresa um, was, I believe, Latina. That was yeah. my assumption, but that was just me being racist based, based on no, the I names. But that, I think I think it is. I think she said something about it. Yeah. yeah. I like that she brought in like that the world that they're living in in Northern Virginia reflects Northern Virginia, like reflects yes. America that – there are people of different ethnicities and it's not just Asian people, this one Asian mm-hmm. family with all these white people around them, but that it was like slightly more diverse, mm-hmm. you know, and I appreciate that. brought up the, um, I thought it was interesting going back to Matt, like how Janine was like, wait, does Matt have like an Asian woman fetish, which mm. is something that like, yeah, I think. Cause his like racist family had said that. Exactly. And yeah. so, and like talking about, well, is that why he likes Mary? And that was just like right. another piece of like, right interesting small racism yeah. on his end, obviously right. his families that was brought into it. Yeah, totally. Okay. We're going to wrap up with my yes. last kind of three things. Let's start with, do you think this book would make a good movie or TV show? And if so, who might you cast in it? I think it'd make a really good mini series. Mm-hmm. Um, cause especially like with the courtroom yeah. and you could do like um, four episodes. Yeah. And do a different episode from everyone's perspective. Mm, kind of. That's um, good. Like when I was picturing this, I was kind of picturing, um, that show on Showtime, The Affair. Have I don't ever... watch that, but I know of it. I, so I watched like the first season. Basically, every episode is from someone's. It's, mm. They replay the same scene, but from a different perspective. I see. Okay. So you watch the same scene over, but you're watching it from a different perspective. Oh, okay. So I was picturing kind of that happening. That's in this. very cool. I like that. Um, I think it would make a great miniseries. HBO, pick it up. Yeah, I think <laughs> so too. I mean, speaking of HBO, I Matt has to be Adam Scott. Do you yes. watch Big Little Lies? Yes. He's like, I was just watching last night, so he's like fresh on my brain. Oh but my what a dud. And I feel like he would be perfect as that dud. No, he'd be perfect. He'd be so that. perfect. And we, Lana Candor. Yeah, Lana Candor, who is, would we think would be Mary. Mary for, um, um from all, to all the boys I've loved. Yeah. That cute movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also, okay, here's my Elizabeth pick. This oh. might be, I'm not sure. This is kind of like a weird one. Do you know who Jennifer Goodwin is? Yes. Don't you think she'd be so good? She was in Big oh, Love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like kind of got that type A thing, but also kind of like that maternal thing going. Yes. And I just, she really popped into my mind with like a blonde with blonde hair. I was thinking Claire Danes. Sure. But Claire Danes because, crying would just be too oh, much for me. Oh, it's too much. When but, she'd be like, there's no cat. <gasps> yes. 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 <laughs> but I love Claire Danes. Um, yeah. I think only because uh, she's in that other show with the – where she plays kind of a crazy person. Homeland. Homeland. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's – actually actually nuts and that show. yeah and uh, i kept thinking about like her going through the emotions and being able to sit in the courtroom and be like stoic i mean she's a great actress yeah but she's the crying actress. you're right the crying would be too much for me um but yeah who do you think for the other like i didn't young? have a lot of people well like i mean this is obvious and part of this is like i don't know a ton of like asian actors and actresses so i think that that's hard mm-hmm. because there's just like not a ton but like constance Wu is janine Oh, I like that. I mean, but like that feels really obvious to me because it feels like there's only a handful of like famous Korean or famous Asian. Yeah. She's not Korean. I think she's Chinese, but, um, but they, you know, like, yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of like there's a million people I could think of who could play Elizabeth. And it's like, I can think of three Asian women, like, period. Well, you it's know? funny that you said Jennifer Goodwin for Elizabeth because, because going back to Big Love, I thought Chloe Savini for Teresa. Even oh. oh or sorry, Kit. Kit. For Kit. Sorry. Ooh, good one. Because I was like, she's kind of edgy and like always yeah. kind of looks like a little bit messy. Yeah. And like I feel like yeah. I just kind of imagine 
Kit being like that frazzled mom who's like always like totally falling apart. Totally. Oh my God. That's so good. That big love is so good. Oh, I love that. Okay. We'll do our last little bit. What did you think of the title and the cover? The cover is beautiful. The cover is so beautiful. When I got this in the mail, I was like, this is stunning. It's so gorgeous. The cover is so gorgeous. Okay. The little red dots. Mm -hmm. Cigarette burns. I did think about that this morning, actually, when I was putting it in my bag to come here. I was just kind of staring at it and I was like, oh, that could be fire and cigarettes. So yeah, do you think that's what she was going for? I don't know. I just thought I thought of that. Like when I was reading it, I just took a note and said cigarette burns. I think no, I think that that's a really I think you're right. I would like to be right. but Who knows? Um, What about the title? I love the title because I I I mean it's just there's a lot of like imagery in it right Miracle Creek and right. where they were and then everything that happened and how it wasn't yeah. really a miracle at all right right um, it's kind of subversive in that way and it was easy to remember too I don't yes. I want to it's like a long title totally. or like no I'm with you I'm, I like I, the title title should have like two or three words agreed <laughs> I like the title I feel like what I liked about it is that it didn't get both the title and the cover neither were too thriller yes. or too courtroom or too literary. Right. I felt like like when you look at this book, you definitely don't see a thriller. Mm-mm. And I kind of liked that because I don't know. It almost looks like a romance. I, yeah. It's very literary yeah. looking, which I really appreciated. Um, the cover or the title doesn't really give much away and it doesn't really get in the way either. Mm-hmm. I feel like the cover is really exciting to me and I love the cover and the title I was like that's good it yeah. works but I I don't know if I if I know anything more about the book by looking at the title than I No but I am excited to put this on my bookshelf cuz it does look so beautiful cuz it is so beautiful. <laughs> okay, do we have anything else we want to say before we get out of here? Go read the book. It's really good. Go read good. the book, Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. If you got this far and you haven't read the book, yeah. you probably don't want to read <laughs> yeah, the book. Exactly. Though. We ruined everything. Um, and of course, check out Rachel's book, Finding Feminism. You can get it on Amazon. That's the easiest place. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tracy. And we will see you guys in the stacks. All right. That does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And thank you again to Rachel Overval for joining us these past two weeks. Make sure to get a copy of Rachel's book, Finding Feminism, wherever you get your books. Everything we talked about on today's episode can be found in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join The Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.